Hello there, and welcome to The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and wellbeing consultant. I am going to take you inside the minds of some of Ireland's most inspiring inter-county GA players as we talk about life both on and off the field. We start the series with former Mayo footballer and current CEO of the Gaelic Players Association, Tom Parsons. During this conversation, he discusses the many highs and lows he experienced while playing for Mayo between 2008 and 2020, and how his journey of self-discovery has made him a more resilient person and confident leader. This podcast is brought to you as part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to www.bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. But for now, please sit back, relax and enjoy the player's voice with Tom Parsons. You're coming up to a year anniversary since you've retired and stepped away from the game as a competitor. I suppose, how are you feeling around that now and how would you reflect on the playing career that you had? Yeah, just that. Such a crazy journey playing the game. Crazy experiences, highs and lows and ups and downs. But, you know, something that's so unique to me as a person and the connections I've made, my family and my wife, um, that, you know, I wouldn't swap any of it. The goods, the good times or the bad times. Um, But I definitely feel, you know, Retiring at, you know, 33, having, you know, a rich career in terms of experiences, both club and county, I was ready to retire. Um, But it's, you know, it's a void that's so hard to fill because you're spending so many hours with incredible people for a long journey. Um, And then it's when it's over, it's over, you know. So this year, with so many commitments, you know, I didn't just not play with my county this year, but I didn't, I didn't play with my club either. And that was a decision really just because of uh, the mo- amount going on uh, in life and, and how, how, how fast life, life comes punching when you've a family and you've kids. So a uh, big transition, um, but no regrets, just an amazing journey. And I suppose within that time, if have you thought about kind of, is there, is there any kind of highs that jump out to you of like, you know, when the when the nostalgia kicks in, your mind wanders off to when, when you were playing and those experiences? Is there anything that kind of comes to mind for you? Yeah, a lot of the highs kind of came from nearly lows, you know. Um, you know, a big part of my playing career was handling challenges, you know, from, you know, a serious injury with my knee and then that challenge of, training diligently and you know setting that goal and aspiration to overcome you know an injury that so many medical professionals were saying not a chance will you overcome and then having all these small wins along the journey and then getting back and training you know in in Mayo with my team on the eve of a All-Ireland quarterfinal and you know getting in the car after training and having accomplished that goal. Um, like there, there's, there's all these highs and they're not necessarily the big games, you know, in front of 80,000 people. 
there are often these moments where you've performed really well for your team or you've achieved a goal that you've you've set out, whether it's a short-term goal or long-term goal, and the level of satisfaction is just is just huge. And the, you know, so there's a number of games that stand out. You know, one game that stands out for me, Alan, was uh, a game in 2014. It was an FBD kind of trial type game, and you know, I was previously releasing the squad two years previous, and I had made it, you know, an aspiration and a goal to get back and play for Mayo, and I worked so hard for my club for two years um, to get back. And I'll never forget, I got a call seven days before my return to the Mayo jersey. Um, Look, do you want to come over and play Roscommon in this FPD game? And I was in good shape. And I remember going over to play a game which would be so insignificant for maybe a lot of the Mayo team at that time, but for me was so significant because that was my opportunity for my second coming to come back from Mayo. And I performed 40 minutes, blew up, uh, was taken off. But I just remembered that moment as well. So there's all these moments that, you know, on reflection, you know, when you're doing interviews with journalists, they want to talk about the big days, the All-Ireland Finals, the playing the Dublins, the Kerrys. But, you know, as a player, it it's probably the lesser moments that you remember. You know, maybe an experience with a player or overcoming an injury or um, dealing with a challenge, um, you know, or a performance that you're really proud of, you, where you put on the jersey and win or lose, you put in a performance where you left absolutely everything on the field and you maximized your capability. Uh, you maximized your ability. And I think that's what success is. I think as a sports person, if you can perform and you know, and you can put your hand in your heart and say, I've performed to the best of my ability. You have to be satisfied with that. You know, because if it's the alternative to that, where it's, I performed really well and I kicked five or six scores, but you know deep in your heart that you're better than that, it must be hugely frustrating to know that you didn't meet your capability. And, um, you know, me as a player, Alan, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't um, the most talented player that put on a Mayo jersey, but um, my work ethic was 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 really high, and you know I, I I think I achieved my capability as a player, and there's huge satisfaction for that in me, and you know I think you know I've kind of taken that philosophy in life, not just in sport, but if we can you know take our capabilities and our natural talents and have the right behaviors to maximize that. That's what success is. And where it brings you on and off the pitch in terms of, um, you know, medals, it doesn't matter, you know, because you've, you've done your best. I'm listening to you there. I think you're kind of, you're describing getting success or, or getting satisfaction from overcoming challenges. Um, and I know there was two, two situations you mentioned there kind of jumped out at me. And I suppose from the perspective of, you having to show persistence or resilience or, or grit or whatever kind of words people like to use in those situations. Because I think from this, like when you go to do these conversations where it's like a reflection of a playing career, um, it's very easy to go, okay, you play from 2008 to 2020. God, great career. You got to play in small iron finals. Good for you. That must have been an amazing experience. Um, but I suppose one of the ones that jumped out to me there was when you said you were released from the panel kind of in your early 20s or as a younger man. 
Um, and it's obviously at that, at that time, it's easy to roll away or to quit or to say, well, listen, it didn't work out. I gave it my best and I'm done now. But I suppose that decision when it, when it happened, how did that challenge your, how did that challenge your, like, your self-esteem or, or your identity first and foremost? And then in what way did you respond to that? Yeah, it was a very significant moment in my life, to be honest. And I think all players will connect with this. We have a very unique sport in Ireland if you're playing Gaelic games. And, you know, from the moment you start playing, you know, your life can, can become consumed by playing for your club. And then at maybe 16 or minor, you get the opportunity to play for your county. And then, you know, that goes into at under 20 level or under 21 level. And, and and then if you if you make the grade at that level, you get the call up to senior. So my life um, was really, really, really surrounded by Gaelic games. And at a very young age, played minor for Mayo. My club was doing well. We were we were winning county titles. You know, we got to a, a provincial final. Uh, I was captain of the under twenty one team for Mayo with you know, the likes of Lee Keegan, Naden O'Shea. And then I got my debut with Mayo. So, and with my debut year with Mayo, I was starting every game midfield, probably one of the top performers and got called up for the international rules. And then, and then all of a sudden, um, there's a transition. Year two and year three of my inter-county season, you're nearly, you're young, but you have a name you have a profile and you're marked. And that's such a difficult year for young players because, you know, in your year one, when nobody knows who you really are, you know, you know, are you a threat in this team? You don't get that same attention where, you know, a top, a top tier player would get. So my second year, I got a bit more attention. Um, my performance has dipped a little bit at that stage. You know, young young players were playing every month of the year because Sigerson overlapped with club. Sigerson overlapped with the intercounty. You're playing under twenty one, and you're playing senior. So I had played thirty six months in a row, and that kind of drive and energy and was seeping out of me. Um, and there's no doubt about it. My performances dipped, and I picked up a chronic injury. And then getting a phone call at the age of twenty two, when your whole life is you know working towards this aspiration and goal to play for your county and then you get this phone call to say look we're releasing you from the squad it's a feeling of rejection and i don't know if anybody has ever been we've all been dumped in a relationship uh, and the feeling of being rejected is just a horrible feeling and there's a kind of feeling of shame and guilt because you know in your community and with your family that wasn't the narrative. That wasn't the story. The story was you were meant to go on and play for me. Oh, you had a great first year. You know, you're, are you maybe captain material? And now you find yourself in a situation where, oh no, that's not the narrative. And how do I get back there? Um, so it absolutely rocked my self-esteem. And I think it did, Alan, because at the age of 22, I didn't have a full picture of what really life looked like. Because life was all consumed by sport. And I think if your life is consumed by anything, that it be a relationship or your career 
or your sport, um, if you lose that one aspect of your life, you're, you're, you've no resilience. You've no resilience as a person because you've consumed, you, you've just put all your energy into one aspect of life. Then law of averages is like, like any aspect of life in a relationship or in a career, there's going to be ups and downs. And if you lose it, you're just vulnerable. So I was, I was so vulnerable and mentally and emotionally really struggled. Um, I don't want to say like I was clinically like depressed, but like I definitely had, you know, symptoms of, um, anxiety, I think, you know, I became very nervous. Um, I felt like an imposter playing with my club. You know, I felt like an imposter being around the county players in, in, in DIT. So me and you were playing in DIT at the time and the team was populated with inter-county players. And I felt like an imposter because that identity was taken away from me. Um, and, it, you know, all these kind of negative emotions were there. Um, so was, that was a really challenging time for me, Alan, to be yeah. honest. And and I could always, when I returned to play for Mayo, any player that ever got released, I always tried to give them a call uh, because I knew how how detrimental that is on your self-esteem and and you know on your psyche uh it's huge and it shouldn't be underestimated and i think in gaelic games uh it, it, it is brutal because managers are bringing in squads of 40 or 50 and like you're only a, a game away from being released or a month away from being released and it's not like professional sports where you get a contract for two years and if you pick up an injury you're still in you're still in the squad there's no contract. You need to be fit. You need to be performing. And if you're not, sorry, go back to your club you're, and someone else will step up. So it's a brutal environment from that perspective. You talked like kind of the negative maybe emotions or feelings at that time, um, say words like rejection or imposter syndrome. How were you able to, to navigate that or how did you navigate that? What kind of helped you process that and come through that kind of block of if it's negativity, despair, rejection, whatever kind of words you feel most comfortable, but how ultimately you're able to process through that and, and come out the other side of, because it's such a, it sounds, it is, it sounds like it's such a big kind of part of your journey of like, it was taken away. So you're going to have to climb back ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's a few things, not any one big thing, Alan, but probably going on a little bit of a journey of self-discovery. Um, I probably turned into a little bit of a negative person at that time. Um, was playing Sigerson, but at the weekends was working in a bar, was kind of blaming other people. Um, and, you know, someone quite significant in my life at the time, um, a club guy, you know, he just had said to me, it was something that clicked. He said to me, he said, Tom, look, he said, you're surrounding yourself with, you know, a very negative environment. You know, some of the people you're surrounding yourself are quite negative. Um, you know, what you're listening to, uh, you know, even your own mindset. And that will just reflect on how you move forward. Um, and so, so we, I remember having this conversation um, with this guy and uh, then I started looking towards kind of mindset stuff, exploring mindset, you know, and positive mindset. And there was this thing, Alan, kind of called positive programming. And I don't know if you if you've ever read it, but it's where you start positively programming your mind and that kind of reflects your energy. So 
you know, if somebody is listening to the news twice, twice a day, you know, like, like news can be quite negative and that kind of reflects your energy. Um, so I got into a lot of the mindset stuff and I'll be honest, the best thing I did was I needed to push on my career and I moved to Cardiff in the UK. So I moved to Cardiff completely away from Gaelic games, new environment. And I started working on my career. My relationship got back on track. I started doing some athletics and boxing. And I just found a life away from Gaelic games. I found balance. And that whole positivity mindset thing, I, I started getting interested in that, listening to podcasts, listening to some very significant people that has overcame setbacks. And the next two years and that kind of self-discovery without Gaelic games were just critical to my life, you know? Um, and so and it wasn't any one thing and it wasn't, you know, speaking with a sports psych or, you know, I did one thing. It took time, you know? It took time to develop life skills and to develop um, my own self-identity away from the game. So when I came back to play the game, I was a much more rounded person. You know, I was, I was um, an engineer working towards chartership, working with a big company called Jacobs. I was back on track in my relationship with Carol. I was interested in, you know, other hobbies and athletics and five-a-side and boxing. And I was reconnected with some of my buddies that had nothing to do with Gaelic games. So that whole balance in my life was back and then when I came back, GA and football was just, it was just another thing. It was just another part of me, but it didn't consume my life. And it, it certainly wasn't going to consume my self-identity. And I came back in 2014 and I always had the mindset that, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Uh, it might be a performance. It might be an injury. But do you know what? Every time I put on the Mayo jersey, or I'm training for Mayo, I'm going to train or play as if this is the last time I'm going to put on the jersey. And if I rewinded when I was 18 or 19, I thought this was going to last forever. And I wasn't training or playing with that mindset. And that's a dangerous mindset because, you know, you need to be on the edge. You need to perform, you know, at an inter-county level and be a top performer. You need to be leaving everything on the pitch, not just in All-Ireland final, but in the first round of the league or a pre-league game or that challenge game two weeks before a championship when other guys might just drop their standards by two or three percent, you're still at that high octane. So having that mindset where, do you know what? If this was the last time I put on my county jersey, how would I want to perform? Like asking yourself that question before you play with your club or your county or your train, it gives you a serious, serious competitive advantage. And, you know, I was asking myself that question, Alan, not from listening to a psychologist, but more from what I experienced being two years out of the game and experienced in terms of, wow, I was, I was, I was listening to myself thinking for, you know, as 18, 19, 20, 21, that this is going to last forever. And it doesn't. And then when you when you experience that lull and that low, you know, you probably take it um 
maybe I was taking, maybe I did take it for granted a little bit. Uh, but when I came back to play, um, I was just a different person. I was a different animal on the pitch. Um, you know, I think within two years, I was vice captain. I, I was, you know, I wasn't, I didn't come straight back into the panel. I was a different person. I was a different player, you know, and my work ethic went through the roof. So when I was 18, 19, Alan, I was probably relying a little bit more on my my talent and capability. But when I came back in 14, after experiencing that, I was heavily relying more on my work ethic and behaviors. And and that, you know, that, that kind of shaped me. And it was a great lesson for me, not just in sport, but but in life. From just from listening to you there, Tom, and obviously you're reflecting on it. You've thought, obviously reflected on this before and, and quite deeply. And I suppose what I kind of hear, and, and please correct me if 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 this is if this is wrong, but up to say up to twenty two years of age, you're very much developing kind of Tom Parsons, the footballer, the male footballer. You're competing for your club. You're in college. It's very much football focused. But then I suppose you get this this period comes where not necessarily by your choice, but it allows you to develop you as a person, um, and that kind of that more holistic version of yourself. Is that fair to say? And I suppose if I was to follow up on that, that like what did those two years teach you about yourself? What kind of what did you learn about Tom Parsons during those two years that you didn't know from the previous 22? So one lesson I learned, and I didn't know, you know, I'm probably on reflection the last number of years, I've I've really t- I've taken from the whole experience was that um, this was a huge obstacle. It was a huge setback. Like, it, it really was. It was, um, it just rocked me. Um, and other, other people might think, you know, it's, you know it's, it's insignificant, Tom. Like, people are losing loved ones or experiencing bereavement or experiencing cancer. But it, it doesn't matter. What's important to you in that moment in life is important to you. And if it, if it impacts your self-esteem, and it and it causes your your emotional state to be impacted. It's it's a significant moment in your life, right? Um, but what I learned from it was that okay, this was a setback. It was an obstacle, but so many opportunities came from it. And at the start, I didn't see any opportunity. I just seen bleakness. But when I moved away from the game and started focusing on my career, I seen different opportunities. I seen opportunities in terms of time to forge the relationship with my partner, opportunities to explore for the first time since I was 14, different sports. Can they can they help enhance me as, a, as an athlete, as a player? You know, even even things that you'd never dream of, being an inter-county player, going and playing five and seven aside a league. Uh, it was it was it was quite a competitive five and seven aside football league in Cardiff. But it was different skills because you were looking at finding space in the pitch. Um, I started doing a little bit more athletics and boxing and just conditioning. And, you know, so so many different obstacles came, or so many uh, opportunities came from that obstacle. Um, so then, like, you know, fast forward to having other obstacles in terms of injuries and that significant knee injury um i the minute that happened i was immediately able to you know not wallow in defeat for 6 months like i did when i was 22 i was able to immediately say this is a setback 
this is an obstacle. I've been here before. What are the opportunities? And man, like when that happened to me, like, like I, I changed my career. I got married. I got chartered as an engineer. Um, I like so many opportunities from my injury uh, came my way. Um, and uh, I learned that lesson when I was 22, you know? Um, powerful. So, yeah, it is. And it, it, I, I think, you know, people think about, there was a book actually that Andy Morn gave to me um, when I got injured and it was called The Obstacle is the Way. It's about the philosophy of stoicism and, uh, you know, I had kind of known a lot about this philosophy. Then I read the book and then it started making sense. I was like, I get it. And what it, it explained all these people in history that have experienced the worst of times. I mean, slavery or um, bereavement or torture or, you know, being born with, you know, with one limb or losing a limb. Like, these these people who experienced horrendous obstacles and setbacks, and they use those obstacles to go on and do great things. And we see it every day. Day we see people who have overcame cancer and they go and raise, you know, hundreds of thousands for for cancer. We see people who um, have children that are born with Down syndrome or disability, and they go into the community and and work with that child and do amazing things. We see people all the time take pain. And they use it for good. And, you know, I think, I think it's, it's an important lesson in life, Alan, because unfortunately, um, you know, resilience is a little bit of a buzzword. And people often ask me, you know, will you do a workshop and help coach resilience? And everybody want to, wants to be resilient, but nobody wants to experience setbacks. Nobody wants to experience losing a loved one or um, not getting a promotion or being uh, released from a squad or experience a severe injury. But you can't develop resilience, true resilience as a person, if you don't learn and experience and overcome setbacks in life. So unfortunately, you know, for that skill set that we all want and every business and every team and manager wants their team to be more resilient, um, yet nobody wants to experience setbacks. So it's kind of catch-22, isn't it? Um, and that's just my look, that's just my take and kind of philosophy on mm -hmm. on life. No, and it's and it's really interesting because say with resilience, obviously, like that's I, I've do, I do some work in that space as well of resilience masterclasses, or you're doing kind of workshops with groups. And I suppose to your point, it's a, so first of all, I would say like it's a skill. And I think what I really like what you've captured there is like any skill, like it has to be developed over time. So you don't just read a book on resilience and, and you're resilient or listen to a podcast on resilience and say, okay, I, I took out a couple of points there. I'm a resilient person now. And it's, kind of, it's kind of like experiencing stuff over and over again, reflecting on it, learning on it. What would you do differently? But I suppose the, the kind of one of the key things of real resilience is what you've described is then being able to use it in real time. It's not a post-event reflection. It's this is happening to me right now. I'm aware enough to see it. And my resilience is here that's going to help me make better decisions in real time. And it sounds like with the injury, that really kicked in for you. Is that kind of fair to say? 100%. Yeah. It was there. It was, um, I had experienced it at 22. I had experienced it with losing big all Ireland's. I had experienced it with experiencing, you know, bereavement and 
um, and loss and conflict in work. And so this was just another big obstacle. But, you know, very, very quickly, um, you know, people were showing a little bit of empathy and maybe other people were showing a little bit of pity in terms of, there's Tom, he's wearing a, a brace that looked like Robocop's leg um, and uh, he needs seven months off work. Um, you know, he's not going to play, you know, again for Mayo. And like people were, you know, showing so much empathy and, and, and but I, I, it's in, in some respects, it, it looked like pity. Whereas inside, I was thinking opportunity. I was thinking, imagine if I overcome something like this and even if I just play a minute with my county, imagine being able to use that to encourage all other players in my county or in my club or, you know, to be able to tell other people that, no, 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 it doesn't matter what your circumstances, you'd be able to overcome that um, and live that experience and overcome something. And imagine how I will feel if I overcome that goal or that dream or that aspiration. So, you know, it's... Um, it's 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 so true, and you know I talked about earlier on in the podcast, Alan, about negative programming and uh, moving your mindset to positive programming. So when I was on that journey of, you know, trying to positively program my my mind, and people might be like, "What what is that? That's just stupid or mad." Like, what is he on about? Um, I'll give you an example. I was at the time instead of listening to the news and you know, being quite negative, I started listening to a few kind of inspirational uh, people in life. And one guy I started listening to was called Les Brown, an African-American. He was labeled at the time uh, mentally retarded. That was the label, right, which was wrong. And uh, But he overcame so many obstacles, right? But he, in, in one of his talks, and it always resonated with me, uh, he said this phrase that I'll never forget. And I remember listening to it again and again and again. And, and what he said was, and I, I hope I can remember this. He said, imagine being on your deathbed and standing over you are the ghosts of all your hopes, your dreams, and your aspirations. And they're standing over you with large beady eyes saying, only you could have given me life. And now we must die with you forever. And I just... I just listened to that again and again and again. On your deathbed, the ghosts of your dreams standing over you and they're saying, you, only you could have given me life. And it's, you know, I often use that, that quote and I think about it. And then, you know, because we all have goals and we all have dreams and we have aspirations and, you know, we don't achieve them all like, you know. Um, but in life and sport and relationships and your hobbies and in your travel, whatever it is, there's only one person that can, can make them happen like there is um and uh, i always listen to that and then you know in any kind of goal or personal goal or aspiration um i, I, I it holds my whole it holds me to account you know and it's it, it's an important lesson and and why do you know why do kids love sports people why do kids you know when you go into your primary school and why do kids want to get their jersey signed by by you, the local, you know, intercounty player? Uh, it's because they see a person who's who has a dream to be a sports person and is going out and living their dreams, you know. And 
you know, kids have been told, you know, what you want to be as you grow when you grow up, and like kids are going to say, you know, astronauts, and you know, or you know, I want to be a Premier League player or a professional athlete, or I want to be an actor. Like they dream big, they don't, you know, they don't dream small. And then somewhere along the line, <laughs> society, you know, sucks the life out of kids, and we, you know, we uh, experience reality. But kids love athletes because um, they dream. And they're living their dreams of being, you know, playing, you know, being either a professional sports person or playing at an, an elite level at, at an intercounty level or maybe being, you know, a club captain and representing their club and being this kind of role model in society. And you're living your, your dream and kids aspire to be that, you know. To, to what you've just said there is probably a perfect segue to like obviously we're here talking to you as a former Mayo player, but you're also the, the CEO of the Gaelic Players Association um, where you're a figurehead and a leader for that whole collective of people that you're describing. You know, there's males and females in counties all over Ireland that kids look at and say, they're cool, I want to be like them, I want to do that. Um, I suppose like from everything we've just talked about, like and that sense of ambitions and aspirations and if you're being on your deathbed and looking at back at things that you've done, why did you want to be the CEO of the Gaelic Players Association? Because there's, if we're talking big picture here and dreaming. There's a, there's so many things in the world you could have done or tried to go after or what you wanted to do. So why did you want to be the CEO of, of the organization? It's like that phrase, if you're not making someone else's life better, you're wasting your time. Um and, you know, look, I'm a chartered engineer. I was working on big projects, um, you know, maybe four or five years ago. And, uh, you know, I was delivering these massive projects, doing very well professionally. But at the end of it, no, no one person was ringing me saying, Tom, you've changed my life, you know. Um, and um, so then... I moved into uh, a role with Jacobs Engineering and I was heading up culture for Europe. We had about 10,000 people. And all that experience that I had learned through sport, I was able to bring into business and uh, drive culture and behaviors, explain the terms of resilience, a lot of what we talked about today, and drove kind of well-being and mental health initiatives in the company. And on a daily basis, People were ringing me saying, Tom, that webinar you did or that session we workshop, thanks a million. That changed my life. That piece of knowledge changed my life. And that's making a difference. And um, I was doing that in Europe and doing a lot of traveling um, around Europe and to the US. And, you know, I've, I'm then very connected with, you know, 4,000 intercounty players, you know, male and female who I know hand and heart, you know, the life of an intercounty player, you know, 95% of it is a grind. It's, it's work. It's, it's brutal training sessions. It's training, you know, in over December, over Christmas, in January. It's, you know, maintaining your body fat percentage at a certain level, you know, having a strict diet, doing all of this stuff. And then trying to hold down a job and the financial pressures as well of, you know, um, playing inter-county, um, your inter-county game as well. Like, and, and I just know there's huge pressures on inter-county players. 
because I've exper- experienced it myself, um, and I needed help. So my my younger self at twenty two, in that kind of dark space, you know, I remember I couldn't get a ticket um, for the All Ireland final. So I was playing the year previous. I was released. I was scrambling to get a ticket for the All Ireland final. I got a ticket and I was in Hill sixteen. So. You know, very quickly, um, you know, when you're not a high-profile player, you can feel forgotten about. Um, but the GPA didn't forget, you know, and they came in and they helped me with my career, uh, a little bit of one-to-one, you know, personal coaching. And, like, nothing major, right? Nothing major, but, like, just help, just gave me that steer. And, um, you know, it was it was very valuable in my life. And, um, you know, so when this opportunity came up, you know, I, I, I went for it, you know, and, uh, you know, even before I went for this position, Alan, you know, I was on a, on a part-time or voluntary basis on the board. I was on the NEC. I was a, I was a rep for Mayo. Um, I was very close with the likes of Paul Flynn, the previous CEO, like where the association is going is, was something I was really proud of. And then the last thing that just really motivated me was, you know, 12 months ago when we had, you know, a couple of hundred inter-county players, male and female, on a Zoom call like this, and unanimously they voted to merge the associations. And we didn't know how we'll do it. We said, guys, we, we don't necessarily have the funds or the know-how or what we need to do, but we know we need to do this because you know the challenges the intercounty males face is huge but the challenges that our intercounty female players face is is just it's just it's just really escalated so we really need to get in and support our colleagues so it's a purpose driven role and um you know i just hope that along my journey that i can help players on a one to one basis or you know on a on a collective basis to help with the playing environment and and just represent our, our players and you know I'm not an All-Ireland winner you know I don't have All-Stars on my shelf you know I'm not the most talented player that played the game Um, you know I've been you know I've played in All-Irelands I've lost All-Irelands I've been released I've been dropped I've been injured I think for our for our membership I, I, I can relate with empathy and connection and compassion to the experiences that they're experiencing because I've experienced them firsthand. Um, and if I can help, if I can alleviate, you know, any challenges or, or, or pain or, um, you know, um, circumstances that people have in my role and in my skill set that I've developed professionally, then it's, um, it's an absolutely amazing role to be in, you know, to be representing, um, 4,000 intercounty players. And I do believe in Ireland, like as a country, we're a very unique country globally. And I believe what makes Ireland unique is our kind of in- interconnected counties, communities, towns. And a, a, a lot of the heartbeat of that is Gaelic Games and um, and is our clubs and is our counties. And here we have like the best of our club players coming to represent their county, inspiring kids, um, and are like our you know very unique people in society that are amateur, 
like they they need you know a body that represents their voice that protects their interests that helps them develop as as people that protects their welfare and that's exactly what the gpa um is and does and and you know we'll never be we've so much work to do like you know my my action list and the team's action list on a daily basis like it's never ending like it could be 24 hours a day but you just do your best for 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 the players what's at the top of that list for you right now what's on like if i was to push it in terms of what success looks like or what's the the, the top of that goal list or aspiration list in, in in your role while you're here what what's on that list right now so a few things like definitely our female intercounty players like they're they're definitely paying to play the game like they don't receive expenses or nutrition allowance um they don't have a consistent charter. They're like the skill level is through the roof. You know, if you look at the All Ireland finals this year, um, it's just they were they were incredible games, especially the the Mead and Dublin game. Like the the skill level was through this roof. You know, like it was like, and I'm not just saying this, but like in terms of sporting events this year, um, it was it was up there. I think in 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 one of the best sporting events. So, like the quality of Camogie intercounty players and um, and and ladies footballers is really high, and they deserve better. Um, so, working with you know the LGFA, the Camogie Association, and the GA to close the gap in standard there is a huge like that that it that is a huge action um, and something we're taking very seriously. But then, you know, there's there's there, there's hundreds of other things. What, what needs know, to happen there, Tom? What needs to happen is that the Gaelic family, in terms of our our, our three NGBs, need to work together um, to help close that gap. And the state has already stepped in, you know, with with equal funding. Um, so that there's a few moving parts there, Alan. But like, there's been there's been really good progress this year, and you know, the female players have already received their first um, grant, which is a recognition from the state of you know their direct and indirect expenses but there's loads of little things there's loads of other things it's facilities it's fixtures it's you know it's really to drive equality in sport and this isn't unique to gaelic games it's across um you know all totally. sports uh, at the moment so so that's really important but then you know the the men's game has huge challenges challenges as well you know in terms of you know even if we look at the men's fixtures there is a disconnect the weaker counties aren't getting competitive games. That's why, you know, league-based championship is so, so important. So we're really pushing for that, but also always pushing and striving to improve, you know, the welfare of of players um, all the time uh, in terms of reducing contact hours, you know, as well, and doing that in a way that, you know, doesn't devalue the, you know, the time needed to prepare to play at this level. So, you know, there's there's so many things, and there's yes. some big things, Alan. But every day, it's you know, it it could be one player's challenge, you know. And if one person, one player is struggling, like we just that's priority, you know, because you know, like it might be it's it's so demanding on your life that for a lot of players, it might just come to a crisis point where you need help, um, and we we were there to just just to help players and guide players and ensure that, you know, my vision is when I, when I retired from the game last year, 
I've retired with my life pretty rich, you know, had a relationship, professional career. I had hobbies away from the game, my friends away from the game. I was giving back locally and how I, you know, doing talks for, for schools and young people. And, you know, football was only one part of my life. So when I retired, I retired with balance and richness in my life. And, you know, I'd like all players to be able to leave the game whether that's through injury or being released or through retirement to say, yeah, do you know what? My life is better for playing the game and not the other way around. Um, that, you know, I have, you know, I've had to forego significant opportunities in life and my life isn't better for playing the game. Like that's not where we, we, where we want to end up. One of the bigger launches or the biggest releases you've had since you started is the BO360 program. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about that from, I suppose, both from an individual perspective, but also in terms of other players, your members are going to be listening to this. So just kind of at a top level, first, what that program is about, kind of where it came from, and then maybe we'll dig into it a little bit more after that, but I'll throw it back to you first. Yeah, so like, we've we, first of all, we, we just have an incredible internal team like who are all coaches, advisors, um, you know, psychologists, you know, business consultants. Like they're just a really good team and they all have a unique skill set in, in, in what they can deliver to players. And the guys, you know, Eamon Murphy, um, Ian Reeves and Jenny Rogers have you know, worked with, you know, best practices globally and other world player development, world player associations like EU athletes and um, the AFL Player Association in designing a player development program um, that's world class, basically. So, um, so there's loads of design and science behind it. And basically it's, it's, you know, there's going to be a journey when when you, when you start your career as a inter-county player, you're going to start as a rookie, right? You're going to, you know, year year one to three, you're, you're a rookie. And there's a lot of, there's a lot you need to learn in terms of, and there's a lot of unique challenges in terms of your education and scholarships and entry level into coaching and what is player development and ensuring that you don't make the same mistake that I made and put all your eggs in one basket and just focus on sport and forget all the other stuff. And so a rookie needs that kind of, uh, attention, you know, that kind of detail, access to programs and workshops, scholarships, financial support and financially aid in, in terms of what we do with our scholarships as well. So you have that rookie, then you have the mid-career where you're a little bit more established, you've graduated from college, um, you probably, you, you're not trying to balance four or five teams, but you really need a drive in your career or your business. Um, and you, you might need more of that business mentoring, leadership skills in terms of programs, one-to-one coaching to know where you bring in your life. And then there's a late career where you're quite established, but you need to figure out how do I transition from the game? And am I ready to transition from the game? And is my life rich? And have, have I availed of opportunities? So Bureau 360 it is designed across a number of pillars like Life skills is one pillar, which is really important. I think everything we talked about today um, it is life skills. Let that be resilience, you know, how we deal with feeling like an imposter, uh, communication skills, you know, negotiate, all these kind of fundamental life skills that's critical in life 
you know and that's our second pillar then is is well-being is is to absolutely be there and try and promote not just reactive well-being but proactive well-being so you know previously alan we're all guilty of this is that you know we don't go and seek help until we need help so when i was struggling i didn't ever think to work on my my mind my mental game because i know i'm grand i didn't need it but the reality is with all these crazy setbacks in life we all need to be working on our mental game we need to be proactively in developing coping strategies that if if i'm experiencing bereavement if how do i overcome grief if i'm dealing with conflict how do i overcome that if i'm overwhelmed and i'm stressed for trying to balance work what coping mechanisms do I have to manage stress? That's all learning these coping mechanisms now, not when you're diagnosed with a mental illness or you have poor mental health and you're struggling. So it's well-being isn't just the reactive piece that if somebody is really struggling, that we step in and we help them. It's trying to encourage encourage all players to be proactive with their well-being. And then another one is dual career. So, you know, being an intercounty player in itself, it is a career. The, the time spent is, it is a sports career. Uh, okay, it's amateur, but it's career. So how do we manage um, our full-time professional career with being an intercounty uh, player? And that might be developing leadership skills, um, being able to navigate and time manage um, so there's a number of aspirations uh, of that section. And then the last one that's a key pillar is transition. How do we transition, not away from, even just away from the game, but how do you transition from being a rookie to a mid-career to a late career and all that, and the transition that goes in that development of, of the person. Um, and as a player, you know, it's very similar. Transition is very similar, you know, of how you transition as a, as, as a player physically, you know, when you're a rookie, you need supervised strength and conditioning sessions. You need to learn these complex exercises. And then as, as you transition from a rookie to mid-career, you know, you might need as many supervised sessions because you can you can ex you can execute those sessions in parts of two and three. And then when you're in late career, you know what you can do, you can do it yourself. And you and you might need the same amount of lifts or load that you you needed when you were twenty one or twenty two. So, so th- those are the four pillars, and um, it's no one thing. It's no one thing. It's it's um, it definitely caters for all our membership. And rather than just sending all players one membership note on you know uh, undergraduate scholarships, w- you know we tailor it to what stage your career is in. You know, so a rookie will get certain communication, uh, access to certain coaches, and then a late career player or a former player would get access to some other programs. Yeah, and that's. I was just going to say in terms of, so the four pillars again, like the life skills, transition, dual career, and well-being. Like one of the, I suppose it's it's a positive, but also I'd imagine it's a challenge for for the Gaelic Players Association is that just the breadth of people's situations, circumstances, interests, passions, careers. Um, so you obviously, this program is there, well, there's a structure on it and a a pathway as such, but I suppose it's also, 
what I want to kind of emphasize here from what you're saying and to make sure anyone that's listened to this gets this clear is it's also individualized and tailored to suit whatever that individual wants it to be. It's not like you sign up for a webinar and you sit through the same thing that, you know, Johnny from Roscommon or Claire from Kerry sitting through. You get, you, you can tailor to suit your individual needs and aspirations. Is that, is that correct, Tom? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So like we've got, you know, Bureau 360 um, live coaching, you know, so your first engagement will be to speak with a coach. They will, you know, they, they'll work with you, build a relationship, do a little bit of a heat map on, you know, your whole life landscape uh, to understand, you know, what do you need? Um, and then that person will continue to work with you. But if you're, you know, an entrepreneur setting up a new business, you know, that's where we'll make the link and then set you up with, you know, Kieran Barr, who who who's our COO, but also a business coach and has like, you know, 20, 30 years experience as a CFO and, you know, understands business startups. Like he'll help run the numbers with you as um, you know, as as, as a startup. And then and then we'll do so it's tailored that way. So the first entry is is that coaching. Um and then, and then, like, if we don't have the answer to Alan, and we don't have all the answers, um, we have, we reach out to some of our partners, service providers, like some unique challenges come in where people might need legal advice. Or so, if we don't have that direct service, we find the service and we'll just work with the player. Um, so you know, that's the that's the micro level, and then you know, at a macro level, we try and you know host like rookie camps for all our graduates host like transition programs to invite all our players who, who transition from the game um you know and we try and try and provide these other programs that might capture uh, a bigger audience in in these life skills and just a follow-up question on that tom i suppose like so for players like uh, former players like myself and yourself like we've come through like the previous version of bo360 which is the player development program um and i suppose from a male perspective, that's been in situation and players have been using that for a number of years. How has it been in terms of the the merger between the, the with, with the women's GPA and opening these services up to a whole new membership, to a whole new body of people? What's the feedback been like to that as a leader of the organization rolling this out? How has that process been? Um, and what kind of feedback have you been getting back from, from the female counterparts in terms of this? Yeah, really good. And you know, like we we run some unique programs like the Jim Madden Leadership Program, the Next Gen Leadership Program, the Transition Camp, and you know, it, the enhancement in our programs by having male and female players because the diversity of thought. You know, like there's nothing worse than going into a program and and you know you spend all year playing with thirty guys, and next thing you go in and you're you're doing a leadership program with 30 guys of your same age. So we try and get diversity of thought um, and different perspectives on, on our programs. And so like we really enhance that. And I think players, like even you know the next gen leaders or oh, some incredible players on that, they've learned a lot from each other um, and we're learning all the time as well, you know, and, so you know we we take equality very very seriously as well so everything that we do for for our male players is is available for our female players and um you know the response has been really good just as we wrap up this conversation and kind of 
as I think about all the lessons that you've shared, your experiences both as as an individual and now as the leader of of the Gaelic Players Association, if if you could say kind of one thing to any players listening now, or kind of one piece of information with regards to why the player should reach out to engage with the GPA, to engage with the O360. And bear in mind, most people listen to podcasts, they're listening to it on headphones, you're going directly into the rear. What what would you like to say to them as, as the CEO of the Gaelic Players Association? Yeah, I, I'd like to say that, look, you invest and you give so much to the game um, to inspire young people, to represent in your county, to, you know, to, you know, help and drive, you know, revenue for the GA in terms of, and that's dispersed through GA units and clubs and, and, and you give so much as an inter-county player that you have to invest in yourself and put yourself first and, um, you know, don't be the person that doesn't invest in yourself and then leaves the game and feels, you know, aggrieved that you haven't developed as a person or had the opportunities that you needed, you know? If you can just leave the game and transition from the game and say, you know, I've developed as a person in terms of my career, my life, I'm, you know, it's rich, I've availed of opportunities, do that. And uh, there's some fantastic opportunities with, with the GPA. And if we don't have the opportunities, we'll, we'll help find them for you. Um, and, you know, just, just, just be open, just be aware. Um, and whenever it works for you, reach out. And if we can help, uh, we'd be absolutely delighted to. Tom Parsons, thank you. Thanks, Alan. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Player's Voice podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To get all future episodes, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. And don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's BO360 program at www.bo360.gaelicplayers.com. My name is Alan O'Mara, and I'm so proud to be part of these honest and insightful conversations. To find out more about my work as a performance and well-being consultant, please go to www.realtalks.ie or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMTheCat. Thanks for listening.